Hello everyone, thank you for joining us this evening. It's a pleasure to have Dr. Haytham Al-Hamri as our speaker this evening. Dr. Haytham Al-Hamri is the chairman of the Syrian British Consortium and also the director of Rethink Rebuild Society. Dr. Haytham graduated from the University of Damascus Medical School in 1999. He was detained in Syria as a political prisoner from 2003 to 2004 for his civic activism. This happened in his hometown, Baraya, in rural Damascus. He came to Manchester in 2007 to complete his PhD and upon graduation after he's completed his PhD in 2012, he helped to establish Rethink Evil Society as a Manchester-based charity supporting Syrian refugees and asylum seekers. In 2019, he co-founded the Syrian British Consortium as a political body amplifying the voices of the Syrians in the UK and advocating for an inclusive and democratic Syria. Everyone, Dr. Eitan al Thank you, Hassan, and good evening. As Hassan said, I'm Haytham, chairman of the Savage Consortium, which confided in 2019 to, to be the voice advocating on behalf of British Syrians. I'm also the manager of the Society, which is a charity working for the uh, Syrian refugees and asylum seekers in Manchester and beyond. Today I'm going to talk about the conflict in Syria uh, through my personal experience, so a bit of stories, and I will move towards some political things, which I'm sure that maybe most of you uh, know better than me. I should apologize that some of the Slides contain graphic contents which some viewers will may find dis disturbing. So this is Syria. I'm talking in Oxford, so I'm sure that most of you will know where, where Syria is. <laughs> but I should put this beginning. Syria in 2010, the population was around 23 million. They are more than 15, about 20 ethnic and religious groups. Technically, the majority are Arab. But we uh, have also Kurds, Syrians, Circassians, and other. We have religiously, the uh, majority are Muslim Sunni, but also we have Alawite, Shia, Christians. I think about, we have at least 10 Christian churches. Churches means sects, Christian sects in, in, uh, in Syria. And we had also Jews in the past, but they, most of them left uh, after the uh, establishment of uh, Israel. This is Syria, which is really nice. Maybe Don can tell us more about this, this beautiful Syria. Unfortunately, I'm not going to talk about this beautiful Syria. I'm going to talk about the Syria beneath. So there is another Syria beneath. I remember a story, not story, just a little incident. Uh, one filmmaker, he was visiting Palmyra, Tadimur in, in, in Arabic. So he was visiting Palmyra in 1990 something. 
and he was enjoying the place there with the uh, ancient places. And suddenly he knew that there is a very notorious prison there, which everyone knows about Tadmur prison in the past. So, I'll start from Hafez Assad. It's a long story. Maybe I should start from Ba'ath Party having their coup uh, in 1963. But anyway, in 1970, Hafez Assad, the father of the current president, Bashar, became president through a coup, of course, and he remained until he died in 2000. He killed or imprisoned all of his opponents. Bashar became a president after his father inherited the presidency, although it's not kingdom, but it's sort of kingdom. When Hawes died, he became a president after his father. And in the terms of political changes or human rights changes, nothing happened, nothing changed. There were some changes in the financial situation or how they, the relationship with Western countries more, but not in the human rights aspects in, in Syria, unfortunately. So what does it mean to, to live under the dictatorial regime? When we talk about dictatorial regime, we think that, okay, in a dictatorial regime, you can't be, a, for example, a president. You can't be a minister or you can't participate freely in, in politics. It's more than that. It's not only about politics. Dictatorial regimes affect every single movement of their people. So let's start with, with the first major incident in my life when Abdurrahman Saka is my father-in-law and he is my, let's say, imam or a, a teacher, a religious teacher. When Hafez died in 2000, he was uh, an imam in mosque, and the government ordered all imams to praise the late president and his son Bashar in their uh, Friday speech. Abdelakram refused to do that, and he gave an ordinary religious speech without mentioning Hafez or his uh, son at all. And because of that, they arrested him for two months, and more than two months, in very bad conditions. After that, in 2001, there was some like relaxation in the situation in Syria. Little, let's say. And we were like uh, enthusiastic that we can do something. So a group of young people, including myself at that time, tried to participate positively in our society. So we started by opening a, a library. Every, we were about 20, 30 people, men and women. Every one of us gave about 50, 100 pounds. We hired a basement. We collected our books and borrowed them from <coughs> our relatives and cousins. And we put them in that basement. And we make it open for, for public. Just two days after that, the uh, security forces or secret police or Mukhabarat, whatever you want to call it, they came just two days after that. They came closed that library and confiscated more than 100 books, exactly 104 books because I have the list, including the Bible. I don't know what they do with the Bible, but just in case that there's something wrong in the Bible. And I started my journey with the security forces or the secret police since that time. They invited us for a daily interrogation at their offices. Every day we should go there at 9 a.m. just to stay Sometimes they ask us some questions, silly questions that 
from where you bring the money, what, uh, what uh, are your aims of opening this library, who asked you to do that, all of these things. And they leave us at 9 p.m. Doing that every day for 40 days. So that was first thing. And they, they left. then they left us, but they didn't give us a lot of in 2003, I'm jumping, of course, in the, because we were interrogated many times during 2002. But in 2003, there was the invasion of Iraq at that time. And as a non-violent activist, I had my own idea about the social change, which would need to political change, let's say, uh, do some, something positive in our society. So we had campaigns, some campaigns at that time, too to teach ourselves and our society that there are plenty of things should be should be good before before we ask for very great changes in our society. Like, for example, fighting America at that time. Because many people thought that we are going to fight America in Iraq. And they, they many Syrians joined the, the fighters in Iraq against America at that time. So we had those three campaigns, anti-smoking campaign, Anti-corruption campaign, we will talk about the bribery in Syria. It's very unfortunate, it's very common practice in Syria to bribe the judge or to give bribery to a policeman or to, uh, to jump the queue by giving bribery to the cleric or the employee. And we had a cleaning campaign where we went on the streets of our city, Daria. I lived in the uh, Daria. Uh, surrounding uh, Damascus. We went to the seas of Daria making this campaign. Again, to say that uh, we should be positive, not waiting for the government or to, for anyone else to, to be positive uh, instead of us. We should do something good for ourselves. And we finished by having a silent march against the invasion of Iraq. Because of that, just 10 days after that, the security forces arrested 24 of us, including myself and my father-in-law. So that was the second time my father-in-law was arrested. At the beginning, they put us in the presence of the security forces branches in Damascus, in the basement of those branches. Three months of interrogations. Again, same silly questions from why you did this claim campaign, the aims, what is the name of your political party? So first, uh, for example, today they will beat me to, to say the name of the political party which I am. And the following day, he say, he, the same interrogator, he said, that, I know that you don't have political party, but if we leave you, you will have a political party in the future. <laughs> and the following day, the same, the same interrogator, they, he will beat me again to give him the aims of my political party. So, so it's like that. And of course, at the end, after uh, the interrogation, three months of interrogations, they will get, take you and you give your fingerprints on papers without reading them. So you don't know exactly what are. But you are happy when, when they give, uh, take your fingerprints. That means that they finished interrogation. Now we will move to another, uh, to another step now. So then we finished those interrogations. They uh, released some of us, six at that time, and sent us to another branch. After that branch, they sent us to uh, Sydney prison. At that time, Sydney prison was not that bad like now. Now it is 
slaughterhouse. But at that time, it was better. Com comparing to, to, to today, it was much better. After being there for a month or two, they sent us to a secret field military court. It is, this is always when we talk about Syria and those, not only Syria, all of these dictatorial regimes, like everything is having names without any, uh, any meaning. So it's court, but it's not a court because it's secret field military. Secret means that it's secret, completely secret. They took us from the prison, of course, blindfolded, put us in a closed van, and took us somewhere which we don't know where. From the van, we took us one by one to a small room. Now it is field because it is, there is no, no lawyer, no charges, nothing. It's just like I entered the room, I found military judge in his uniform sitting there, and me and him alone. As again, no, nobody else, me and him. When he started to talk, he didn't say that these are the charges or what he did. He just started by that. Okay, Hitham, if I release you, are you going to do the same actions in the future? I said, I'm nothing wrong. Everything I did is for the benefit of my nation, for my country. He said, I start insulting, shouting, and I will execute you. I will put you in prison for, uh, for the whole of your life. And then he said, do you ask for uh, mercy? I, I, I ask for justice. And because of that, he gave me an additional one year. He, they sentenced nine of us for three years imprisonment. And they sentenced uh, my friend, Yahya, and myself for four years imprisonment. And they sent both of us to a solitary cell because they considered that as an, an insult to the court. When I, I said I asked for justice, so they gave me an additional one here, and they sent us to the solitary confinement. I'm not going to talk about that solitary confinement. Just like when they pushed me, they took me uh, to some prison again, took me to the downstairs, two floors underground, no light, of course, nothing, and opened a cell, pushed me inside, closed that cell, no light at all. I thought that this is the situation, I should stay with no light. Of course, they didn't tell us, by the way, that they sentenced me. I thought that there is still another trial, another trial, or just like, because they just have taken, they took me. I didn't know that they sentenced me, and all of these things you are doing now, I knew them. Some of them after two years, some of them after I was released. <laughs> so so you, they don't tell you that you are, like, this is the sentence. Of, this is the way of the court there. So that court, as again, very cold. I, I, I touched the place. I found two blankets. So I used one to put it under me and, and the one to, to cover my, my body. Very cold. Sednaya, I don't know if you know Sednaya. It's what, the high, high place, the mountain. And it was in October. And in December, January, there are about 30 centimeters of snow outside. So it was very cold. <laughs> I took jacket and I never took off my jacket the whole seven months I spent there, never. Unless when I want to have a shower with a 
frozen water. So I have the shower with frozen water. <laughs> Until I just put some water on, on me and then put the everything back on me. Anyway, long story about that one, but when they took me out of that solitary cell, it was the happiest day in my life. Until now, I remember when they called my name. I thought, come with me. Although they took me to the public cell, by the way, to the public prison, not, not, to, not home. But it was, I, mean, I I had two children at that time, but I had another two children after that. I had my master, I had my PhD, I came to Britain. I had my British citizenship, but all of this <laughs> is not happier than that moment when they called me out of that thing. <laughs> the connection with the outside world, of course, they took us. They don't tell anyone that they took us. My father knew that we entered that building. He came three days after that to that building. Luckily enough, they allowed him in because they don't allow anyone in. And he met one of the officers there. And he said, we never seen him. I was under his feet. He was in the first floor. I was in the basement. He said, we never see him. Try to find him somewhere else. But uh, my father knew he is like, he, he knows that they are there. So. Anyway, he can't say anything. He went. After 10 months, they knew that Daria group is in Sydney prison. And they applied for a visit. And luckily enough, they, they got permission to visit me. So it was the first visit. But the visit is, when they visited me, I was still in the solitary cell, by the way. They took me out. So it's two iron bar barriers and the soldiers between us, so we can't say anything. It's just like, how are you? I'm OK. How are you? Oh, we are OK. That's it. All that, like 20 minutes like that. They even they didn't like, allow me to touch my wife or my children or my uh, parents. So it was more, than, more torture than being like happiness, that visit, to be honest. The second visit, after eight months from the first visit. But I was luckier than others. I met people who never had any visit for three, four years. And all of this situation is luckier than those who were in Dudmore or other branches. Or in 2005, my father tried to do something active to release me and others. So he established with some of his friends uh, something called the uh, Committee of the Families of Political Prisoners. And immediately, the following day, they kidnapped him from the street. He was going to his work. They kidnapped him and took him to a security branch. But they uh, released him after one month because at that time, Al Jazeera and some human rights organizations outside here, of course, uh, they mentioned his name. So like, there was like, some news about him. So they, they released him at that time, only after one month. And I was released after, after him, uh, in November 2005 after two, uh, two and a half years in prison due to uh, presidential amnesty or party. Why? Because there was pressure on, on Syria at that time because of what happened in Lebanon. In Lebanon at that time, Al-Hariri, uh, Al the Prime Minister of uh, Lebanon, 
was assassinated, and they blamed Syria that it was behind that. And under pressure, uh, there was uh, like a resolution in the United uh, Security United Nations Security Council under Article Seven. So if they don't cooperate with the uh, investigation team, that that Article Seven means that even military solution can be applied. So they were like freaking at that time. So they tried to make some compromise with the, their own people, the Syrian regime. So they released 193 political prisoners. I was lucky enough to be one of them. We were, at that time, uh, four of us, we, uh, we were released. So this is an example about young people trying to participate positively in the society, clean the street, uh, having some campaigns against uh, smoking, uh, against bribery. An old man like my father was arrested just because he's asking for the release uh, of his uh, son, we know that, that this situation will not continue like that, and people will say enough is enough sometime. And that happened following through what happened in, uh, in the Arab Spring, uh, in general, in Tunisia, Egypt, uh, Libya, uh, Yemen at that time. Mm -hmm. So in March 2011, the Syrian people started their own uprising. And it started by an incident happened in Dara. Dara is a city in the southern of Syria where some children wrote some graffiti against the regime on the walls of the school, their school. The security forces, led by the cousin of Bashar Assad, arrested them, tortured them, beat, beat them like that, took their nails out. And when their families asked for their release, they said, forget your children and go to your wives and bring new children. That sparked the first protest in the Immediately, that cousin, cousin of Bashar, killed four people at that time in the street, and that sparked more protests in Dara, and sparked many protests every, uh, everywhere in Syria. In, in, from north to, to, thousands, to south, in many cities, those protests started. Usually, it, it, this protest happened in, uh, after Friday prayer, because all Muslims should go to Friday prayer. So it's an opportunity which the government can't prevent because people should go to the prayer. So that was an opportunity for people to gather there and to start their protest from outside the mosque immediately. So every Friday you will find, started by maybe 10, 20, 100, 200 protests every Friday. It increased and increased and increased. So at the beginning, nobody mentioned toppling the, the regime or like they don't want Assad because they were afraid. And uh, to be honest, it wasn't the demands at the beginning. People chanting first, let's say, 10 Fridays, chanting freedom, freedom, Allah, Surya, Hurriya, Bas Allah, Syria, freedom, and enough, or that's it. But they mentioned, of course, when you talk to political people, to Intellectuals, they have mentioned justice, freedom, free election, which means in necessity the end of the dictatorial regime. Of the response are all of these protests, even by the uh, the admitting the regime itself admitted that it was peaceful for more, more than six months. Every Friday, they shot protesters in the street and killed tens, hundreds. And when Friday ended, 
they send their security forces to their houses and arrest tens of thousands of protesters from their own houses. At the beginning, they were like reluctant to be too harsh. So they arrest people sometimes five days, uh, 10 days, and release them sometimes one month. For example, I will, I will talk about my father, for example. My father participated once in a protest on 25th of March, 2011. The only chanting in that, uh, I have videos for that. This is my father. He was walking silently like that. The chant was freedom, freedom, freedom. That's it. They arrested him first time on 1st of May for one month. It was okay. The situation was not that bad. So they didn't torture him. Uh, the food was enough to, to, to survive. They left him. He had a heart attack. He met at home, never went out of his house, never. Except like to bring bread or something like that. They arrested him again in September 2012, but this time for five months. And they tortured him. They left him again, and they took him back in September 2012, again for another five months. And they asked, why are you taking me? He said, we'll take you until you die. So when he was released the third time, we begged him, please, Doug, you should leave sin. You should leave sin. We can't tolerate. When, when every time, like first time I listened that he was arrested, I was here in, in, in Manchester. It was okay. The second time I was more worried. But the third time was more worried because I knew that the second time they tortured him a lot. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy for us. So we picked him and then he left, fled Syria to Jordan with my mom. When they took him the second time, they took my brother Muhammad, my youngest brother, with him. And again, they, they tortured him. And he was lucky enough to be released after six months. And immediately he fled to Jordan. And after Jordan, he went to Germany. And he is in Germany now, more than six months. Akram, my father-in-law, he didn't participate in the protest at all. And he was against this, this protest. Because he said, Assad is a brutal. The whole international community is backing him. Nobody wants to change him. From America to Israel to Iran to Russia, all of them, they need him. And he will never surrender until make Syria underground. He will kill everyone before he leaves. So he was against the revolution. But just because he was known from the government that he is against the regime, they took him again. 20 soldiers came to his house. They took him from his bed in, on the 15th of July, 2011. And we don't know anything about him since that time at all, even if he's still alive or not. The ways of torturing prisoners, you know, there are plenty of documentation, reports. This is, the, by the way, 2012, I wanted to die, documenting 35 methods of torturing Syrian prisoners. This 2012, at the beginning. Of course, but I don't need those reports because I knew everything, not only because I saw some of them when I was in prison. My father told me how they tortured him, and he told me how they tortured young 
they literally killed them under torture. Literally, they tortured them, many of them, until they died. By all methods. These are some of my friends from the just examples. This is my friend Monir before he entered the prison, and this is two days after. This is Bilal before, and this is when they released him. But the most horrible, horrible thing happened to the Syrian people was Caesar. Caesar is a fake name for a military photographer who was responsible to take photographs for all bodies of the prisoners when they died. They document everything for themselves. They are bureaucratic. It's like we were occupied by France, and France is very bureaucratic. And they are bureaucratic as well. So they, they document everything for their own sake. So Caesar was responsible to, to have these photographs or to document them or to make them. And he managed to smuggle 55,000 photos of people killed under torture. 55,000 photos, but it is for 11,000 people because everyone has about three to four photos. Of course, the photos have numbers. They don't have names. So the numbers have three numbers. Number for the prisoner himself, number for the branch which detained him, and another number which I'm sorry now just for these two photos. If you know not comfortable, tell me. So this is, I try to choose the least uh, horrible photos. Just imagine this smile from that soldier. He's pointing at the, at the bodies and he's smiling. I don't know why he's smiling, but this is the, the way. Anyway, so these are the bodies. And if you see this photo, they are putting them in plastic bags, accumulating them here until they took them to a mass grave. We don't know now when and where we'll find those mass graves where they buried all of these Haytham, just may I only on comment on something? If you can see the the name Tartus is written there, isn't it? Tartus. Yeah, this well, yeah Tartus. Yes. This proves it's in Syria. I mean, just, yeah. just no, 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 no. There, there is, there, by the way, there is a photo. I, by, I should have put it. There is a photo from this angle. Okay, from this angle, the presidential palace is is uh, shown in that photo. So it is less than four miles away from the presidential palace. If it's from this angle, this is in Mazda, Mazda hospital, military hospital. So it's from this angle, so you see, you see the presidential palace there. And, and this is the way of torturing. Of course, there are some women and some children, so some elderly people. I myself recognized at least 15 people. Some of them friends, some of them I have cousin, not direct cousin, cousins of my, my father, two of them I recognize them here. And I recognized more than 10 people from my hometown area. This was the closest one to my heart, uh, Muhammad Ali. He was arrested in 2013 and killed under four months after his arrest. From day one, when Dara protested against Assad, 
the Assad sent his troops to crush, crush those cities. And he fell. But since he's sending his own troops, many officers, soldiers, they said that we don't want to kill our own people. And they defected. Not very high ranks. Most of them are soldiers and low, low ranks in the, in the army. They established at that time, that time something called the Free Syrian Army, which is not an army, actually. It's like groups of military people surrounded by civilians who managed to take many areas from the control of the Syrian army. Because the Syrian army for its scattered and the situation itself was very, very weak for the Syrian regime at that time. So they managed in less than one year to take many places. All of these red areas now became under the outside the control of Assad and under the control of groups of the Syrian army, the free Syrian army, the opposition, let's say, uh, groups. And the response was Assad, every city became outside of his control of every town. They sent all sorts of weapons against the, those areas. Missiles, cannon, even Scud missiles. Continuous bombardment, continuous. The most annoying thing is the barrel bombs. Very cheap instrument, this, this is the barrel bombs. It's a barrel, 25 barrels, fill off. They fill it with, with DND and uh, some uh, sharpener and send it by helicopter. The wind will take it anywhere. The wind will take it anywhere. And so these are civilian houses. Anywhere. The wind will take it because they send it by the helicopter and throw it. Wherever. This is my this is Daria written here. This is my hometown. So they sent tens of thousands of those barrel bombs over the cities. After one barrel bomb, you will find two, three, four, three buildings collapsed like that. This is a missile hitting a street market. After one second, you'll find bodies, legs, heads everywhere. And of course, this is the children frightened, you can imagine. And the most annoying thing is the people remain under the level of the victims. Because you, you don't have the instruments, the means to take them out of that, uh, those levels. And sometimes you, you, you hear the screaming, like asking for it, but you can't. You, they are like, and something happened similarly like when we had the earthquake uh, three months ago. This is an example about the, a building collapsed over the family. And they are trying, the, the white women did very fantastic work in, the, in Syria to get people out uh, from the rebels. I, when I talk to people about why we have refugees here, I said that if you, have, if you see this photo, if you see this video, if you see that this will happen to you, the children of your neighbor, uh, are you waiting uh, to, to see the same happen to your children or your fleet? You will flee, definitely you will flee. You, you, you need safety for yourself and for, for others. The response of the international community, by one word, is nothing. 
by one word is nothing. Plenty of words. The most annoying thing happened when Obama said using chemical weapon is a red line. What does it mean? That everything else, it's like a, they gave him green line for everything else. So like they said, okay, chemical weapons is red line. Okay, what about that? What about everything else? What about this parallels? What about uh, missiles? What about, what about these groups who commit massacres by knives? But even that red line, even that red line was crossed in August 2013 when Assad used and proved that he, was, he used that on Ghouta, the surrounding of uh, Damascus, the suburb of Damascus, in August. And he killed in one night more than 1,400 people. Many of them are children and women. What happened? The UK Parliament gathered at that time, and I decided not to act. Obama was reluctant. What uh, uh, can I do? And then what he did? He met with Russia, Lavrov and Kerry at that time, and have this great deal. They will seize all of the chemical stock of the Syrian regime. And they consider that a big victory. They seized all of the chemical stock from the Assad regime. Okay, and what about those who were killed? Nothing. That's it. After that time, that was not a green line, it's not green and uh, yellow and all the colors for Assad to do anything. Because even after using chemical weapons, nobody say anything. Since that time, he used everything. That, and that paved the way for those groups you, all of you know. That give them carte blanche and say that, that okay, International community will do nothing. <laughs> Nobody cares about Syrians. You have the right to do whatever you want. You do care about Syrians or whatever they are like rhetoric. So extremist groups, many jihadist groups, so-called jihadist groups, from all over the world, they gather their members and they establish many things in Syria, but the most important and uh, known one is ISIS at that time, the so-called Islamic State. And that, is, uh, that changed the, the total picture and make the situation more complicated. Since that time, before that, we, if you go to BBC to go to the, you will read about Assad did this, as uh, the Syrian regime killed. Or, but after that, the whole talk is about terrorism. Nobody talked about Assad, nobody talked about Syrian people. Everything is about ISIS, about what ISIS did, about ISIS, ISIS, ISIS. Everything in Syria is, became ISIS. And even ourselves here in Manchester, when they want some Syrian people want to make jobs, we say, oh, uh, I'm Syrian, oh, are you from ISIS? <laughs> so ISIS controlled the whole media at that time. And they took plenty of places. Not from the Syrian regime, by the way. They took plenty of the land from the opposition. But, but this, this area is desert anyway. It's not populated. So they expanded in a few weeks, few months, and even they crossed the land to take parts from Iraq.
and the coalition, America at that time, established the coalition against ISIS in 2014, 65 at the beginning, ended by 70. Yeah, the coalition established, as I said, and they destroyed ISIS in about two years. Okay, so who is the supporters of the opposition front? They want, we can say that they are, we have three supporters. Gulf countries, Turkey, and Western countries, okay? They supported politically. So, for example, they sacked the Syrian ambassadors, or they closed the embassies, they sacked uh, the Syria from the uh, Arab League, they give financial support to the political groups, they hosted their, their, their meetings. And military-wise, they give money to some groups. After 2012, they give money to some groups. But unfortunately, we should know that every one of them has their own agenda. Gulf countries, by the way, you know, they are dictatorial regimes. So they don't want Syrian people to, to win or the democracy. They are not pro-democracy. They want to destabilize Assad because he's pro allied to Iran, they want to counter balance with Iran. So they have their own agenda, but they don't want Syrian people to, to win or to have a de democracy. They don't like democracy anyway. Turkey, the main important issue for Turkey is Kurdish people. Kurdish, not to have Kurdish state in their southern borders. So this is the most annoying thing for Turkey. So the, even when they intervened three times military in Syria, it was to take parts of Syria to cut the land between the Kurdish people, not to have continuous land under the control of the Kurdish people. Western countries have their own agenda as well. They don't like Assad, but at the same time, he's controlled, he don't attack Israel, although he also, the rhetoric is always against Israel. At the same time, he started building good relationship with Western countries. His father was pro-Russia, completely pro-Russia. But Assad is like, the first visit maybe was to our late queen. So the issue is, he has good relationship to, uh, with, with, the, with Western countries as well, compared to his father, for example. At the same time, when ISIS came, so they have all the opposition or more terrorists than pro-democracy, all of these things. Supporters of Assad, they were more honest than the supporters of the, the opposition. They put money, souls, fighters, and Iran from day one, they sent their bodies, which is Hezbollah, Iraqi, Afghani, Shia, militias, to fight against them. Alongside Assad, five. I met, by the way, one Uber driver. He was like four years in Syria. What again? This was that he's Shia. He was like his father was fighting with alongside Assad. Anyway, but Russia, of course, from the one Russia used veto at least twelve times to uh, prevent any resolution against Assad. <coughs> Sent military experts, and at the end. With all of this support, he was uh, Syrian regime was about to collapse in September 2015, and the opposition was about to enter Damascus. Russia said no, and they intervened by their own army jet fighters, and the total military picture changed this time. It's Russia against people without uh, even like uh, clashing code. So. 
They send their jet fighters all over Syria. They claim, of course, that they are attacking terrorists, but they attack everything except terrorists. They attack schools, uh, hospitals, uh, and the most annoying thing is the international community. Every time, for example, they attack Daria, my hometown. They attack by jet, jet fighters. Every night, they send less, at least 20, 50 attacks on, uh, on the city. The solution at that time, the Mistura, come with this solution every time. And Russia said that if you evacuate the town, they will stop. Of course they will stop if we evacuate the town. Why they should continue? It's empty. So it was a blessing that they gave their blessing for Syrian people to leave their own towns. And my hometown was became empty. And this is my hometown. This is the, the best area in my hometown. This is Daria. This is not the worst. This is the best area in Daria. Some buildings still alive, and others are like that. I, I don't have time to, to show you my, my family buildings. Five stories, it's like that. All my memories are under those. So ended by Syria now. This is in 2017. The red now is the area under the Syrian regime control. When I say Syrian regime, means Russia and Iran. Assad is puppet now. So this is yellow area is under the control of Kurdish people. And when I say Kurdish again, it's the US and slightly UK, France. There is the oil here, so because of that, wherever the oil, you'll find the Americans. <laughs> and uh, this area, this is the, uh, in 2017, taken by Turkey, uh, again, to cut Kurdish area into two halves. This area in green, left um, in 2017 were, were left in the hands of the opposition and some areas under ISIS. In 2019, Turkey invaded more areas, so they have now more area under their own control, so they cut plenty of areas from the Kurdish control. Disappeared from opposition. This one is empty to be, just like don't be cheated by this green. The area until now under the opposition uh, control is this area, uh, the green one here. Everything else disappeared, uh, taken back by Russia and uh, Iran. And some small spots for ISIS. I don't know why they left them until now like that. Don't ask. And of course, the, to make the, all the cameras here, this is the part taken from Israel since 1960. So until now, you find people saying that, oh, Assad would never stay in power if they, he has no support from Syria. Definitely has support from Syria. Well, why he would remain in power for 12 years? They forget Russia, they forget Iran, they forget everything. And they forget the most important thing. This is the support that he has from Syria. The killing, brutality, and who there? I talk to my cousins, to, to my to say anything. If he, he's, he, he don't want, they, nobody wants to be a political solution in the near future, I will leave that to the questions. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you, Haytham. You know, I've seen these photos before, but when I see them again, it feels like the first time. So every time I see them, I think Haytham agrees. Every time we see them, we feel shocked again. It's a process, you know, because when you are detached from these photos for some time, you tend to try not to believe what, you, what you've seen. But when you see them again, you have that shock all over again. Thank you very much, Haytham. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for, for attending this talk. Thank you. Thank you.